Well, good morning, and I just am so thankful that you're here this morning. I'm, I'm thankful, you know, Josiah, and we singing How Great Thou, Thou Art this morning. You know, one of the things we, many years ago when we, we've been here almost 10 years, started almost 10 years ago, two weeks from now, and so it's been quite a journey, and we're just so thankful for that journey. But one of the things we did this summer before was travel from, I think, 13, 15 churches around town, and and just kind of set in, and we would do a lot of things. I was, I was taking measure tape with me, and I was measuring how far the seats were apart. And it's weird things I was doing. Jan was embarrassed. She wouldn't go as often as Josiah. Josiah's hard to get embarrassed, so he would go with me. But we did that a lot. But one of the things we picked up on was, was that when a hymn is sung early in the service, when a hymn is sung at all, but especially early in the service, it changes the dynamic of that service. Where the young and old sing. And so we have implemented that. There's a lot of things we do around here that you may go, I wonder why they do that. There's probably a why behind it. But I just appreciate the fact that, and it's a, it's a verse in, in Psalm 1. Uh, 145.4 that you've, you've heard us say here, one generation commends your works, uh, commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And I'll read this because I, I, it's kind of our mission or kind of our, part of our mission here at Renovation. We believe a church needs to be a place where a 16-year-old can have real relationships, not just with peers, but 36-year-olds and with 66-year-olds the vision of this church needs to include assimilating our children and youth and at all ages to, ch- in, to be the church today, not just someday, but today. And I think one of the ways we do that is through singing together and bringing the older and the newer together. So when you see us singing different, you know, newer songs, well, part of that's because we want to bring the ages together. And part of it's because of what your pastor likes better. That's the other part of it. Not better. That's not true. Also, is that a way to say it? Not better. One of the things we've done over the last many weeks is, and, and we don't talk about it much in here because we don't want to make it a bigger deal than it is as far as separation. And what I mean by that is there's some going through it and some not, but for the last eight weeks, we've been traveling through Uncommon. It's a training that really only is, that I know of, is only here at Renovation because we created it, okay? So it's kind of the reason why we believe that. Uh, but one of the things is I want to have the people who've gone through that so far to, this, just stand in the room. And there's a reason why I'm asking you this. No clapping, no anything. No, just kidding. No, that just, that's not the reason why. I just want you to look around, and I want you to go to those people if you've never gone through Uncommon or you've not gone through this version of this time. And if you want to ask them, as we'll be talking about it more over the next few weeks, get somebody's picture, uh, their, their face uh, in, in your mind and go, hey, I'm going to go ask them about that. I think that's the best testimony, right? It's not just me up here blabbering, or that's a cool video, but it's those who've gone through it. And so you can have a seat there, guys. But one of the things is, you'll notice, it's intergenerational. Not just multi, we're not just a multi-generational church, we're an intergenerational church. So that's our purpose, and that's our hope, is that these stories will be shared from generation to generation and telling of your mighty acts. Amen? 
So we've been, over these last many weeks, been talking about encounters with God. Last week, I used the verse, I'm gonna share it again here, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, and I'll be, it should be up on the screen. I'm gonna read it again. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. A couple of points from last week that just to remind you. One was this. Realize you are not alone. Paul says be prayerful and watchful. There's a supernatural aspect of what you're doing. There's something beyond what you can see. There's something you, you know, prayer is, you know, we are, as human beings, we are people of causality. We make things happen whether we want to or not. We, because of decisions we make, we can make other things happen. Prayer is an unbelievable cause, an unbelievable form of that. But I'm so thankful it doesn't go unchecked. You wouldn't want me to have full power. The, the, we're, we're, we're linking into when we pray, we're linking into the one who threw the cosmos in place. And I'm so glad there's a Holy Spirit that checks me because me with that kind of power and that kind of access would not be good. So it's moderated, right? It's moderated through, through God and how I pray and how I submit to him and I pray in his will, not in my will, not my desires, but his desires. But I am connecting into the supernatural. Be, be watchful and thankful, be in prayer. As we said last week, Elijah, there's more with us than against us. And just another reminder, Paul says to not only be watchful about, and prayerful, but he says to be watchful, and he's saying, Lord, give me the eyes to see what I can't see or I could never have seen before without your help. Pray that I pro proclaim it clearly as I should. We use this slide around here a lot, something we've developed here called the five C's. We're continually to work on it, but, but one of the things I think about when I, when I began to share the gospel, share, share the mystery of Christ as I should, I, one of the things I try in my own, own mind, and I realize you should say, well, you shouldn't pigeonhole someone or you shouldn't stereotype someone, but I do believe if we're gonna be watchful and prayerful, we need to kind of know the situation we're in. And so when I use these five C's, who am I talking to? Am I talking to someone that's far away from God that may even be combative? combative? Well, in that moment, I may share the gospel different than somebody who's way over here trying to figure out how okay. they can do everything. They'll give their life for Jesus in every possible way. We have different conversations. To be watchful, to be prayerful, to be thankful that I've been given this opportunity to prepare each day to step into those opportunities. You can take that down. But another thing I mentioned I'm gonna briefly talk about today is 
One of the challenges I think many of us have is not realizing, and again, bad English, this ain't no game. The urgency of what we've been asked to do. Again, a reminder, Jesus says to the disciples, people who are walking with him, and and it's the passage of scripture, I don't have the reference here, I apologize for that, but where he goes through the towns and the villages, and it says Jesus saw He went to the villages, he saw the people, he saw them. He didn't just see people, he saw people. And he had compassion. One of the reasons many of you don't have compassion is because you're not going and you're not seeing. Be watchful. See what he sees. You go, well, this is a bunch of goofballs. These people need to get their, their act together. You don't know their story. You don't know how they ended up there. Be watchful, to be prayerful, asking for discernment, for the Spirit to lead us in small ways or large ways, depending on what the situation is, but asking for that discernment. You're talking about a great adventure? Just begin to ask the Lord to open your eyes to see what he sees. The message I shared with you last week from Ephesians 6, talking about spirit, putting on the full armor of God, there is, he said, Eugene Peterson said, this is out of the message, this is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, life or death fight to the finish against the devil, against the devil, against not any individuals, not, not people, not people you see there that you think are, need to you know, get their act together, not, not them but against the devil and his angels. You know, what I think about in the Lord's Prayer, probably the prayer that's been said more than any prayer that's ever been said, right? I mean, it's just said by sports teams. It's said by, and you know, it's said in so many different ways. And for some reason, in the middle of this prayer, Jesus put, and, and I guess a lot of people who pray it never even think about the words because it's just something they've prayed forever. But he says, deliver us from the evil one. In the middle of this prayer, and people are praying that probably don't even believe in any supernatural, partly because they never think about it. There's an enemy of our soul. And he comes in various names in scripture the adversary, the accuser, the father of lies, the thief, John 10, 10, the ruler of this world. In other words, a way of thinking. Romans 12, 2, the ways of this world, implying that Satan has his way in the world's way of thinking and philosophy and all kinds of different ways that he has his ways. That's the reason why your mind has to be what? Renewed, reprogrammed. But I love what Ephesians 6.19 says. Paul is saying, pray that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. That I will fearlessly, fearlessly make known. The word fearlessly there, it, it, it means leaving a witness 
that something deserves to be remembered. In other words, leaving a witness that something needs to be taken seriously. Then I may proclaim it fearlessly. How many of us are our main prayer for our families and for ourselves is safety? Comfort. And it's pretty weird that you can read this full text and that's what you get. It's pretty strange. When your central metaphor for your faith is an instrument of death should give you a clue that maybe this is not about safety and comfort but about boldness and progress and movement, advancement. That's what it should tell you. So when you pray over your children, Lord, keep them safe. What if you prayed, Lord, make them bold. Make them strong. Let him figure out what he needs to do with the rest of it. Again, I shared with you last week, uh, Er McManus' statement about cutting-edge ministry. I, I just love, I've always loved this, heard it for years ago. Cutting-edge ministry, it's the epicenter of where darkness and light collide. What if your goal was to figure out where darkness and light, you went to those places? Not where there's just a bunch of light so I can feel safe. Not what, what if you went to the place where there was plenty of light, but man, there's plenty of darkness? What if that's how you got up each day going, Lord, take me to those places? Because reality is we are a people of hope. We're not a people of despair. And no matter what's going on around us, we are, we are called in the middle of all the, the craziness that goes on. I believe people of faith thrive in the middle of that. Because what happens when there's uncertainty, the things that matter most come to the surface. Be watchful. In other words, he's saying, be awake. (laughs) Not cowering in the corner. Jesus, hurry, please, hurry, please, hurry. Well, Jesus, we're going to be busy till you come back. If you take me home before then, so be it. Revelations 12, 11 They overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word, the word, the word of their testimony. Paul says, be wise and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. And we raised horses uh, when I was growing up as a kid. And, you know, they say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't, what? Make him drink. You feed him enough salt, he's going to want to drink. We need to be a little saltier. 
One of my favorite little books that I've give, given away, I don't know how many that I've given away over the years, done Bible studies, especially with teenagers. It's one of my most favorite, and some of our, our, our leaders that were with us at the time would tell you it's one of our most favorite afternoon, Sunday afternoon studies we've ever done is going through the book of John. It's just phenomenal. Because the, the word says, on the, on the cover here, says the gospel of John. The good news of John. But the reality is it's the good news of Jesus from John's vantage point. So what if I came to you today and said, what if there was a gospel of Pat? A gospel of Glenn? A gospel of Brandon? What if I said that? The gospel according to your life that reflects people, points people to Jesus. If you had to write a gospel today, the word the word, the testimony of your word, what would that gospel say? Because it wouldn't be about you. We say this over and, here, over and over here about influence, right? I don't influence you. I don't try to become a great influencer so you'll be more like me. I try to become a great influencer so I'll reflect Jesus so you'll be more like Jesus. Paul says, I follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Things that you see from me that look like Christ do that. But the gospel according to Kurt, it sounds sacrilegious, right? <laughs> when you say it that way, who would read that? Anybody that's known me over the last 37 years has been reading it? I'm not saying I put it in print, I haven't. And pieces of it here and there, a devotional here and there. But I'm either good news or I'm not. My life either tells a story as it does or it doesn't. My life either speaks life or death or either way. The gospel according to Kurt. I might tell a little bit about when I met Jesus, everything leading up to Jesus, I may tell about when I turned away from Jesus at 16, and I may talk about all those things, but it's always going to be about Jesus. The word of my testimony, the logos, it means it's not just my words, even though the words, the scripture says your words matter by the profession of your mouth, by out of your mouth you're saved. By saying it, it is important. But logos, the word means more than that. It means the reason. It means the idea behind this. It is bigger than my words. It's what goes with it. It's worth remembering. It changes your life. John was my boss at Alumax. He came into my little cage that I ran this big machine. It was a giant planer, but it was for aluminum is really what it was. If you know what a wood planer looks like, but it had 100 knives, it was massive, about probably six, seven feet across. The blade, I mean, the 
the cutting tool itself. I sat in this little building right next to it. The decibels were like 115, so they had, you had to build a building to sit into, next to it and just kind of work your way through it. But my building was called a pulpit, okay? I didn't name it that. It's just what it was called. But I had given my life to the Lord many years. I probably, this is probably four years after I've given my life to the Lord. I was there six years running this machine, and John came into, my, into the pulpit one day and just said, Gentry, I got a question for you. He's my boss. He was rough. He was really rough. And he was, and then I don't want to go into all of it because it makes you think that that in itself made them rough. There's a lot of things that go with John's story. He's pretty rough. He came in there one day and he said, and he called me Gentry. He said, Gentry, I, I got a question for you. I said, okay. He said, well, you know, I've been Catholic. You know, I grew up Catholic. I've been on all the way to Pentecostal with one of my wives or however he said it and, and all this kind of stuff. And he was just talking through it. He said, I got a question for you. I asked a priest one time this question. I'm going to ask you. I said, okay. He said, what if you get to the end of this thing? What if you get to the end of this thing and none of this was true? You know, changing your life, going to church, you know, I know you give money. You and I have talked a little bit about that, and, you know, you quit drinking, and all, all that, and you get to the end of this thing, and you were wrong. I said, well, John, that's, that's a good question. I said, well, I got a question for you. I said, what if I get to the end of this life, and I made the decision to be generous to people? to show compassion to people, that I was faithful to my wife. I didn't have addictions. I could have a good time without having any other things to be put into my system. What if I could do all that and I get to the end of my life and it's not true about Christ? I want to ask you a question. What have I lost? I said, but John, I got a question for you. What if I'm right? That Jesus was the only way. That him transforming your life and walking this out was the truth. When you get to the end of your life, is it gonna matter? I think it will. So either way, I'm good, right? (laughs) If you're right, I'm good. If I'm right, I'm good. Two weeks later on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m., John's mowing his yard. He drops dead of a heart attack. And the first thought came to my mind was that conversation. First thing I thought to my mind, John, for your sake, I hope you're right. Hope you're right. I don't believe you are. I don't know what John's conversation was the next two weeks, so I'm not casting any judgment on where he, but it, but nothing seemed like it had changed. And the reason I share that with you is this. The word is more than what comes out of our mouth. Our testimony is more than doing all the drills and showing up on time and helping serve and giving and It's more than that. It's embodying an idea. 
a reason for life. Because the word is spoken and unspoken. The word of your testimony, it's both. It's both. And we want to do all those other things I just mentioned and the commitment and serving and all those. But it's more than that. And what I love about what John said is, in John 1.20, he says, what I'm writing, what I am writing is so you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing you may have life through his name. Oh, that's not what's up behind me. That doesn't take away from what I just read. Power of your words. They're supernatural. They're more than. Be watchful, prayerful, thankful. One of the things I used to do for my kids, and many of you have done this, and I know I've talked to you before about it. This used to hang in my office. I don't know if we have the picture up there or not. But it's a picture I got many years ago. And on the bottom of it just says spiritual warfare. It doesn't say it on there, but. So at night, I would go in and pray over my kids. But one of the things I always love about what Ron, I can't even pronounce his last name, that, what, that, that painted this picture, this portrait, he didn't put on there spiritual warfare like Ephesians 6. This is a father, the reason why I got it. It's a father praying over his child. What I love is what he wrote there was the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know who I want praying for me? You know, because when, when people pray for me, I want them to avail much. How about you? I want avail much. Give me as much avail, availing much as you can give me. <laughs> that means I want fervent prayer of who? A righteous man. That, that which is in right standing with God the best they know in that moment. Have I learned things from December 14th, 1986 when I gave my life to the Lord? Was I as righteous as I might be someday? No. But I was righteous to the point of what I knew at that moment. So I could have prayed for people in that moment and I could have availed much. Because I was living into what I knew in the moment. I was only a Christian for 24 hours, but I guarantee you my prayers could have been availing much. Because I was living into what I knew right then. Now, when he shows me more, I got to live into that. What I would say over my kids, not every night, because I wasn't there every night, but try to most nights, was Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Lord, put the fear of God in them. I don't mean fear as in scared, but fear as in awe, fear as in reverence, 
that they'll never lose their awe of you. They'll never lose their fear, the right kind of fear of you. And your word tells me you will deliver them. But I will tell you this. The one thing this enemy does not yield to or no ground to is just simple sincerity. You need to learn how to walk in the power and the authority. There is a supernatural that goes with this whole thing. Matter of fact, it, sometimes you feel like you're probably living in a dream, I don't know, but, but there is this power of saying, I walk in the authority, I pray because I come in the authority of. Like a policeman who stands in the intersection and stops traffic here, stops the traffic, stop. Guess what, that semi coming, he physically can't stop it. But what does he stop it in? In the authority that I come in, that truck stops. We need to be knowing how we walk in the authority and in the power. So as we pray, that we tap into that our kids need to know as they sit over here today, they need to know that they walk more than just what they see. They need to have conversations with older and, 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 and their peers for sure, but those that are older who've been walking this out that can tell stories of that, of the mighty acts of God. And sometimes I think we wonder Have anybody ever felt like you've had a bullseye on you from the enemy? Christ in us, the hope of glory. You'd explain why you have a bullseye on you. You're the good news, you're the gospel. You're the gospel. As I said a few weeks ago, and I know it's kind of a silly saying, but my Baptist pastor used to say, you hadn't met the devil today it's because of what? Probably going the same direction he is. I know that's a little oversimplification. I get it. <laughs> what if you realize what was at stake for your kids or for your family members, for your friends? And you knew this was being fought in the heavens. is way more than it was fought in, the, in what I can see. And you begin to pray in the authority of. You begin to be watchful to see things you normally wouldn't see, to hear things you'd normally hear, normally not hear, to speak things you normally wouldn't speak. I asked Josiah to come on up as I close in reading something here that many of you have heard hundred times, and Josiah and I talked about it the other day and said, you know, if I had a better story, I'd, find, I'd start reading it, but this is so good, I can't help it. I'm going to put my glasses on. Yes, I wear glasses on occasion. I know at this point some of you thought I was so young. How does he have glasses on, ain't right? 
And Mike Bro writes this book talking about a daughter that had been rebelling for many, many years. Or, or for through a season, maybe say that, through a season. But then she comes back to the Lord really on track with the Lord, and her name is Jody. This is how it goes. He said, when Jody graduated from high school, Jody said, and this is a few years ago because you're going to realize that here in just a minute because it says you've got mail. How long has that been since anybody heard that, right? It's been a few years. So when she graduated from high school, Jody said, listen, I want to make my life count. I don't think I want to go to school right away. A few, early, a few years earlier, our family had gone on a short-term mission trip to Haiti. Jody informed us, I'd like to go back to Haiti and work for a year with those orphans and the poor people at the medical mission. I said, Joe, you know that Haiti's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It's AIDS-infested and voodoo-controlled. You want to live there? She said, I fell in love with those kids, and I think God wants me to give a year of my life to do that. I said, all right. If you feel God is stirring you to do that, we're excited for you. Well, excited wasn't a real authentic thing to say. Because one of the hardest things I ever did was put that girl on a plane and say, see you later, Jody. I went out in the parking lot of the airport and cried like the artsy guy I am. I prayed like I had two years earlier when she was rebelling. God, she's your kid. Some of you are praying that today. She was in a pretty remote area in the island where communications were a bit complicated. That year, Debbie and his wife, and my three favorite words were, you've got mail. Because email was the only way we could communicate with Jody. One night, we got an email from her and went something like this. Mom, Dad, this is the most phenomenal night of my life. Someone came and got me in the middle of the night to help me deliver a baby. I got to this little hut, and there's a naked, screaming, pregnant woman lying on the dirt floor. They called me because they saw me with the nurse, and they thought I was the nurse. But I don't know how to deliver babies. I just kind of assisted once. And I'm in this hut by myself thinking. I'm 18 years old in a third world country in the middle of a jungle by myself with a flashlight and a screaming naked pregnant woman lying on the dirt floor of a hut and I'm going to deliver to this baby? What am I doing here? To make matters worse, a visitor walked in the hut. She was dressed in the blue and white wardrobe of the voodoo witch doctor. She began to chant some evil incantation thing. She walked around me and the pregnant woman stopping at the woman's stomach to put some kind of oil on it. Then she reversed her walk around us all the while chanting in Creole. She stopped at the woman's head and put the same kind of evil on her head and then uh, same kind of oil on her head and then stood there chanting and staring at me the most evil glare I've ever seen. I'm getting ready to deliver this baby and I'm thinking I'm 18 years old. I'm in a third world country, 3,000 miles away from home. I'm in a hut with a naked screaming pregnant woman lying on the floor and I've got a flashlight and a voodoo woman staring an evil hole through me. I didn't know what to do. I just looked right back at her and I knew she didn't understand English, but I started singing. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Then the voodoo woman grabbed all of her stuff and ran out of the hut. I knew that this little baby was going to be born with the blessing of God and not the curse of Satan. I'm reading an email as Jody's dad thinking, what are you doing in a hut with a voodoo woman? You get on a plane and you get back here. We've got pizza and ice cream and puppies and fluffy pillows. Come on home. But in the next breath, I read, I said right out loud, way to go, Jody. Way to ripple, girl. You see, who knows what that little baby's going to grow up to be and whose lives he or she is going to touch and whose lives they're going to touch and whose lives they're going to touch. 
All because one courageous 18-year-old said, I'm tired of floating around accidental-like, like a feather on a breeze. I want to put my life in the hands of the destiny maker. I want to make some ripples in my life. Jesus said, only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live. We need to make some ripples. Would you stand? As we do often, these altars are going to be open. For some of you, over the last eight weeks, you've been journeying. And God's been stirring through uncommon. But I'm going to guarantee you, everybody that's in this room over the last eight weeks has been journeying whether you've been in that or not. He's been speaking. Have you been listening? As we sing, and we're going to sing an extended period of time this morning. When he went to that cross, he didn't just die on that cross just to get you to heaven. He died on that cross to give you life. Zoe, now, and to live it to the fullest now. So whatever God's stirring in you, if you want to use these altars as a place that we have said over and over, it is, they're, they're pieces of furniture, but man, they become sacred when you and God come and you lay it down. Say, God, it's yours. Let me pray for us. And you come as you feel led this morning or just sing with us because it'll be good both ways because the one reason we sing, it is the word of our testimony. Lord, help us right now to be the people you've called us to be. What a great adventure. But it comes with risk. It comes with great undertaking. And Lord, I pray over our folks here that their goal in life is not comfort and safety, even though we all want some of that and we need rest and we need margin, all those things. But Lord, we pray for boldness and purpose and direction for your glory. Speak now, Lord. Help us as you move on us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You come as you feel led.